have to say, like, I've really, really enjoyed these last few years of my racing career because I got to the point that it's it's not as stressful. You don't fuss over every bad race or workout or you just it's part of the, you know, it's part of the big picture. You know, any of those victories are just it just feels amazing because you like this. This is great because, you know, it may not happen again. And like and that's fine, too. Like, it's okay to recognize that, you know, but every time you are successful and have a good day, it's like it's so much easier to appreciate it than like, let's say, 10 years ago where you're just like, okay, now there's a next weekend and I have to worry about that. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to another episode of King of the Ride podcast. I am Ted King. I am your host. And Katerina Nash is our very special guest on today's pod. That's right. Recent Grindura winner, Katerina Nash. Recent World Cup Cyclocross winner, Katerina Nash. The five-time Olympian, the all-around rocket ship, the friendliest face you'll see on a start line. That, Katerina Nash is our guest. We were once both fellow Californians, but Kat is still in the Truckee area basking in the high Sierras. So it was in her relative backyard that we caught up. We talked shop. We talked bikes. We talked not about bikes. We talked her early years. We talked her middle years, her most recent years. We talked about training, racing, and how her experience and perspective is perhaps her biggest attribute all throughout our conversation right up before the 2019 Grinduro right there in Quincy, California. We talked about her life behind the Iron Curtain, to which I think her response will actually really surprise you. How she keeps it all balanced amid one of the most fun, busy, and what I think is enviable schedules out there among anyone who lives life on two wheels. Throughout it all, you will hear Kat's love of racing. You're going to hear her sage perspective, the benefits of diversification. You're going to hear all of this in her voice and her stories, and it's truly something admirable amid a, a lengthy, extremely successful career. Katarina, thank you so much for taking the time. Some brief, standard clerical business to take care of. The two of us, Katarina and I, got a kick out of the two young boys beating the living daylights out of each other with beanbags some, oh, 20 feet away throughout the early part of our conversation. Again, this is on the eve of Grinduro. Katarina was kind enough to meet up and take some time for this chat right there on the fairgrounds and campgrounds, which is Grinduro HQ. And so... In pursuit of some, oh, let's call it quiet space away from the PA system, bellowing loudly in the distance, and not to interrupt too many people's campsites, we thought we had this terrific spot. But it turned out to be WWF 2019, the grand smackdown. Please pardon these kiddos fighting nearby, folks. A huge thanks goes out to my sound editor, John Summerford at Bears Records for cleaning up this and every pod. Hopefully, you will hardly notice these dudes beating the living heck out of each other. Folks, you know what? I get it. I'm the youngest of two boys. I completely embrace how sweet it is to grow up in a house of boys. But it's because of these unprovoked shenanigans that I am thrilled to announce that Laura and I are having a daughter. 
That's right, do this March. We are over the moon and we can't wait to welcome our little baby girl into this world. I will leave this intro right there with that cliffhanger, folks. Katarina Nash is up next on the pod. Folks, until next time, please enjoy the ride. Nash, thank you very much for taking the time to be on King of the Ride podcast. Thanks for having me. Huge congratulations on winning recent World Cup in Madison. That was just one week ago, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, six days ago, Sunday. <laughs> if I am not mistaken, I think that is your seventh win on a World Cup in the cyclocross side in seven years. Does that sound accurate? Uh, the years, I'm not 100% sure, but yeah, something like that. I okay. mean, I've been racing for a long time. So. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, obviously it's a very impressive podium. Evie Richards on one side, Yolanda Neff on another. So with big competition, with filthy conditions, with early season unproven fitness, you know, racing against these, these ladies, what is your motivation on a day like that when, dear listener, please go look at photos of this race that you won. It has got to be one of the filthiest races you've ever you've ever been part of. So what is your motivation going into this the subsequent race on the start line? Well, um, probably, like, I mean, it's not one of the filthiest. It's one of few, you know. The cool thing about Wisconsin was that it was, like, super muddy and nasty, but it wasn't freezing like it is in <laughs> in Belgium in the middle of the winter. So <laughs> yeah, I, I yeah. kind of enjoy those conditions. But regardless, I I do really well in those conditions. I actually, the, the crappier it gets, the better I do. I don't know why, <laughs> but, um, and uh, I think the experience just kind of, I've ridden all kinds of bikes, all kinds of conditions. So I knew everybody was making, was going to make a bunch of mistakes and it's just more about like, just recovering quickly and keep going, you know. So, um, so that's that piece. I get pretty motivated for the early cyclocross season because the the races are happening in the U.S. and I don't have to travel as far. Mm-hmm. Having said that, I still had to take a couple flights to get there, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. But uh, and the the final piece is that you know I'm I'm always entering that early season from, you know, a few months of mountain bike racing. So my legs are, you know, they're not maybe perfectly specific cross, but they're definitely, they're in the race shape and with a little bit of break between break epic that I did in August <laughs> and the first World Cup, you know, I yeah. I, I hop on my on my bike and did a little bit of specificity. And I think uh, that particular day, you know, it wasn't, it really wasn't that fast, early season, dry, fast, where you need that leg speed. It was quite the opposite. So mm-hmm, <laughs> those mm-hmm. like those grinding mountain bike miles that I was putting in this summer, they really paid off. So sure, yeah, that makes sense. Um, that would have been late September. You have a very diverse calendar over the course of a year. How many how many cross races had you done that year? I mean, obviously one. Well, actually, not not obviously. You raced two days prior, correct? Yeah, so I did uh, two races at Jingle Cross, and that okay. was my uh, first and second race of the season. <laughs> and then, so the Wisconsin race was uh, my third race. But that's like, 
that's normal, you know. Most people out there, they they were just getting going. I mean, the U.S. The, some of the U.S. racers, they they did a couple weekends before the World Cups, and that's a great way to get like ready. Yeah. But like I said, I just finished, uh, you know, number four of stage racing in my whole summer, so I I needed to go <laughs> home and uh, kind of rest up. Plus, there was EWS happening in Truckee, and I want to take advantage of that opportunity and check that out. Unreal. So. <laughs> Did you dip your toe in that as well? Yeah, yeah. No I way. Raced the, I raced the North Star EWS. Uh, I, and maybe I shouldn't say race. I mean, I definitely raced it, but, you know, like I, I just wanted to try it, and it was it was terrifying, but it was <laughs> it was a lot of fun, and I'm glad I did it. Awesome. You, you may have touched upon it, so take a course like Madison that is so muddy and so, um, you know, you need to be on your technical game. What are your strengths? Do you consider yourself specifically a, a technical? <laughs> we got some kids playing around. <laughs> Conveniently, these are very good microphones. <laughs> are, are your strengths everything? Well, I'll just leave it at that. What are your strengths? <laughs> um, definitely technical skills. You know, I, I've been fortunate to race all kinds of bike, and I'm not, I'm not afraid to, like, like, you know, try EWS and kind of push those limits. And a lot of the mountain bike stage racing really teaches you a lot because you never, you know, you're never pre-riding any of these courses. So you're always riding blind. And I think that's a, that's an element that, that's really crucial for bike racing, you know, like, because ultimately it's hard to prepare for all these situations you're going to get, you know, like coming from a muddy, steep descent onto a pavement and, you know, and straight into running, you know, it's just, it's just having that experience and, uh, just being a bike racer for 20 plus years, (laughs) you know, so, uh, well then, then let this be a, something of a segue. I mean, you've had a prolifically long career across sports, 1994 to 2003, you were a professional Nordic skier. So how do you segue from being a professional skier to cycling or were you cycling all throughout that that time as well yeah like um i mean as nordic skiers we would always ride bikes in the summer and i i actually got into mountain biking in like mid 90s and uh uh while attending a ski academy and it was just like i don't know it was just a lot of fun i got i got to do a few mountain bike races every summer and it was just kind of like my fun season you know and then really focus on the on the ski chapter and at the end of that i knew i wanted to try cycling for real you know i will like i would always go back and do a few at least few mountain bike races every summer and really enjoyed it so uh yeah i i kind of look around for team and got super lucky to get hooked up with cliff bar and uh i didn't really you know, I didn't really plan to be a bike racer for 18 years and then adding <laughs> cyclocross, but it just, things, you know, started to evolve and uh, I was in the right place, the right time and uh, really enjoyed the process and it's it's definitely been a wild ride ever since. <laughs> nice. If, if you are a, a professional athlete of any kind, you're going to be pretty transient and have, have different homes outside of just living out of your suitcase. Where were you living while you were a ski racer? So I grew up in the Czech Republic and then uh, actually um, moved to California, Lake Tahoe area um, on a skiing scholarship. <laughs> These guys are having fun. These guys are having a lot of fun. <laughs> We've often done this with uh, like wild animals running around and I think these two kids are 
a close derivation of, of some wild animals. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as, so, your, as your so dogs. So proud of my dogs. Exactly. They're so quiet. <laughs> Sitting here quietly. Um, so, yeah, so I moved to Tahoe area, and uh, that's kind of like where I finished my collegiate racing and really got into mountain bike racing. And um, I raced domestically for a few years before kind of really – you know, getting the fitness um, and getting the invite onto the World Cup from the team. And once I did, that was great too because my family's in Europe. So I kind of like, you know, between all the all the races, I could always go home and stay with my parents. And so it's it's been really fun because no matter where I travel, I kind of have a family somewhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> between those two big continents where, you know, majority of the bike events are taking place. So, um, so yeah, that's... That's been great. Same with the cyclocross. Once I added that and started to go to Europe a little bit more, I, I could always rely on the national team support uh, at the pits and, uh, and you know, going home and hanging out with mom and dad. So. Right, 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 right. That's awesome. Do you get support from the Czech Republic? Um, I mean, you're, you've raced five Olympics, is that correct? Yes. Always under the banner of the Czech Republic? Yes, yeah. For obvious reasons. So... <laughs> So when you said you got the first nod to go race World Cup program, I mean, this is how my how naive I am about Nordic racing. Do you do that within, like, under the on a trade team or on racing for a nationality? So, no, like, uh, skiing is very different from cycling. Where, um, I mean, things have changed a little bit since I ski race, but you're typically part of the national team. That's okay. the only way on to the World Cup. Like, there's not really trade teams. I mean, there might be trade teams, but they're racing the other events, you know, the marathons or things like that. But when it comes to, like, World Championship and the World Cup, it's always under the umbrella of the national team. So I was, yeah, I was part of that from pretty young age and um, let that go, went to college. Mm -hmm. um, when I got the opportunity to race the Mountain Lake World Cup, that was during the Luna Pro Team, you know, yep. where when I when I got on that team, it was the era of Allison Dunlop and Shawnee Van Landingham and Marla Strip and these nice. these amazing riders that I got yeah. to learn from. And, you know, I wasn't I wasn't as fast as them. So that's what I mean. I had to kind of you know, work mm -hmm. my way through the Norbus and get myself on the podium at the Norwa Norba races before I could go onto the World Cup, which is a good transition. And I think a lot of people don't do that these days. They just want to immediately go to Europe, you know, mm -hmm. and they start traveling at super young age, especially with U23 World Cup, you know, and it's 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 demanding, you know. So I was very lucky to have the the Norba racing where all the best North Americans would come to these races, yeah. you know. So the get top 10 that was an amazing result mm -hmm. uh, you know I was patient and I just kept working on it and then eventually made it onto the travel world cup team <laughs> nice that makes sense so I think this might also be a nice little segue question I mean we're here at Grindaro we're watching again some kids Fight. beat each other up <laughs> but there's there's music here there's a there's a whole art show related to the bikes there's um it's a it's an entire festival. Grindero is awesome, very unique event, and and you mix that among a really fun gravel schedule, and then a, a sporadic World Cup mountain bike and World Cup cyclocross schedule. In addition to doing things like EWS, <laughs> so you have what I, what I picture is a very enviable program in that you're sort of a fun privateer individual, and then you also have the very performance driven either team or individual aspect stuff. How? Are you able to maintain that uh, either personally or professionally? <laughs> and then do you have a preference one side or one way or the other? Yeah, so I spent, um, I mean, I spent a big chunk of my career just 
focus on that mountain bike world cup the olympics you know doing that um, eventually i added cyclocross and that's always been uh more like addition to my summer you know i've never really been true cross racer in the sense that i was signing a contract for cross like it's my team's always been a mountain bike focused team and uh but i liked I still do like cross way too much not to do it, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I, I definitely got to the point that I, I kind of done it all. And I, yeah. you know, I, I got tired of the international travel. You might relate to that a little bit Very and well. living out of the suitcase. And, uh, so I, you know, I sort of proposed this schedule to Cliff Bar and at first it wasn't, you know, they were, they weren't ready, but now we're actually the cliff pro team. We're our domestic mountain bike team. We're hitting like, you know, we're hitting all these events and, uh, some awesome stage races and the epic rides. And that's what the brand wants. So it's, sure. it's fun to see, uh, these opportunities to, to continue for older athletes like me, you know, because at some point you, you are like, you just you just want to be home, you know. You oh, just yeah. want to be home, and you want to <laughs> drive to a bike race. And uh, I had a lot of fun traveling to Europe and racing the mountain bike World Cup. But that that chapter is done, and I'm you know I'm so happy that I can still be a bike racer. Um, but the cyclocross, different story. You know, I never did it like I never did the full World Cup or any of that. So if I have a chance to still jump back in here and there, I'll I'll take that opportunity. Uh-huh. But yeah, it's it's it. It sounds, the schedule sounds pretty crazy, but I've been, yeah, like, I mean, Downeville, Lost and Found, like, all these events are happening in my backyard, you know? Yeah. So there's been a lot of driving to bike races this summer and doing really, really good events that obviously are keeping me fit and ready for the World Cup level. So, yeah, I found it, like, I'm more relaxed about my racing, and I think it comes with with age but i'm willing to do the work and uh and uh yeah thankful for the opportunity still to kind of compare myself to the world's best you know and uh and i'm fully aware of the fact that 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 results not gonna come every other week you know but when it happens it's always fun (laughs) it's gotta be extra special now um and i mean talk to me about how how disciplined you might have been in a in a call it previous period um i mean when you're racing a full world cup schedule and traveling as much as as you know that demands um as compared to now how regimented was your training then versus now it's a little bit more structured you know for sure because you during the summer months you yeah it's kind of like race recover travel race recover try to squeeze in some uh good training but you know like when you look at it like there's not like I don't know if there's eight World Cups and they, they would sometimes you would start in March in South Africa. So it's not like road racing, right. you know, where there's like so many events. So it's, you know, you add maybe national championship, couple, you know, Seattle, a few more events. So like, it's not that much. Like I'm racing a lot more than I used to race, you yeah. know, like I, you know, I did BC bike race. I did Breck Epic. I did Moab Rocks. Like I, you know, I've probably done over 30 mountain bike races this year, you know, nice. and they're not an hour and a half races either, you know, <laughs> so it's been, uh, it's been lots of racing, but you eliminate that, you know, 20 plus hour trip to Europe, do one race and turn around, come back to do mm-hmm. a race in the U.S., you know, that constant bouncing around the world. Um, and I, you know, physically, I definitely feel a lot, a lot better. I mean, I'm, I'm slowing down with age for sure, but like I just feel fresher doing all this much stuff. 
because I haven't spent the whole summer going back and forth to Europe. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And it's got to reduce a good amount of stress to do something like that. If you're going to fly to the other side of the world in order to have a, a single bike race, that is a stressful endeavor. Whereas going down the road to Lost and Found to Grindero, I mean, these are these are fun events that you're going to get a physiological gain out of. Has your... I mean, I'm thinking of the physiological differences that, that might go into training for a World Cup a half dozen or, or ten years ago as opposed to now where you're doing longer events, multi-day events. I mean, do you have a lot of structure to what you do these days or do you sort of go out and ride knowing whatever is going to happen in the at so-and-so event coming up? It depends on the time of year. I mean, like I said, I raced a ton, so, like, I haven't really done a big block of training since probably May, you know, yeah, 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 like, yeah. because I was, like, trying to prepare for some of the early season mountain bike races that, you know, I was coming off a cyclocross season that I was pretty serious about last winter's Dale. So I didn't have those big miles. And so there was this period that I, I you know, had to put in the uh, climbing miles and a little bit of endurance miles and all that. But yeah. since then, I, I kind of like race and maintain sort of thing. So it's really fun to come into cross because I felt like I didn't have enough time to do that super quick intensity you know right. like that leg speed and those group rides and things that i would typically try to do because i added break epic and so it was just it was just a lot of mountain biking miles but then on sunday you know you saw our cadence it wasn't leg speed you know yeah. unless yeah, yeah, we were yeah. running so it was kind of the grinding slowly um up some little steep hills that you know if if that course was dry we would be flying a bit right yeah. Yeah. so yeah. it's uh I don't know. I believe in like riding all kinds of bikes and doing all kinds of racing because I, I think you just kind of use those, you know, you use that knowledge and that skill set from anything, and you sooner or later you'll you'll apply that mm -hmm. somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, back to like you know, I've I've done very few intervals. Um, I like that program. <laughs> but uh, that definitely was my past. Yeah, a lot of kind of intensity. I think a lot of mountain bikers, they still do that. It's still very structured kind of interval workouts. Yeah. <laughs> Don't miss it much. <laughs> but rather, honestly, like I think the re another reason why I race so much is that, you know, I don't, I don't want to train that much, you know. Yeah. I'd rather race. And I also like, I don't want to sit around six months and just just kind of train and wonder like, do I still, you know, am I still competitive? You know, I think at certain age, you just kind of like, well, whatever, I just go race, take it as a and how training. About, <laughs> given, given your background on skis, um, given that you are a very athletic person, do you end up taking much of an off season? I mean, it's nice to segue cycling towards the end of you know, this time of year. You're like, okay, maybe it's time to start <laughs> thinking of a different thing to do. And then, oh, conveniently, it's snowing and it's time to get on snow. Do you, do you look at macro cycles or do you just sort of say, hey, it's, no, let's go I have never, some fun on snow? I, I, like for me, off season is go do something different. Yeah. Like I don't, um, I never believe in the like take a month and then take two months to rebuild, you know. So, sure. and I, I, I don't know, like sort of that athletic addiction, you know, I just feel better if I keep moving. But yeah, it I does not have to be on the bike. I definitely like to mix it up and I'm I'm always hiking or walking with the dogs. I run a little bit, you know, and I ski as much as I can between all the cyclocross events. You know, I've done you know, I've done some backcountry ski trips like late into, you know, or like early June, you oh, know, right. where like you awesome. full on in the bike season, but you just need to clear your head and like you just go skiing, you know. Uh -huh. So um I think that that's 
like that's not for everybody, but it's been good for me, you know, finding that balance of doing other stuff and being active and, um, yeah, get off that bike and just change it up. It's, it's important. Yeah. My body likes it like yeah. a lot more when I'm not just riding. <laughs> Couldn't agree more. Diversification is key, but I mean, I still, you know, my first day I don't have to ride a bike. I'm still interested. Hey, maybe let's go mountain biking. Let's go right, hike right. a mountain. Yeah. Yeah, no, and I, I, like, I'm psyched to have the dogs because they get you out, so I'm always, like, yeah, I'm definitely a lot better about exercising than returning emails. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Going back to the beginning of the conversation, um, talking about the diversification of athletes. So somebody like like yourself, like Yolanda, um, like Pauline Ferran-Prevot, Marianne Voss, uh, Annika Langveld. I'm curious what your thoughts are on a race program like that where they are racing, they're dropping in between World Cup um, mountain bike races and World Cup cyclocross races. Do you, and, and I guess the question also has to do with uh, much more of the future and what you sort of predict the sport going. Do you see more and more of that happening or do you think it's more acute because people are so hyper-focused on a particular sport? Take, take mountain biking. I mean, you need to work on your skill set nonstop. Do you think we'll see more of these individuals or fewer of the individuals jumping sport to sport? I don't know, honestly. I think, I mean, it's always, it's always been happening. There's always been a group of people that are, you know, playing around a couple different disciplines and, you know, like the, the whole idea of cyclocross, you know, it started yeah. for, you know, like road racers just kind of keeping up with the training and the intensity in the winter, you know, and you definitely see a lot of the uh, female road racers they return no matter how busy their road season's been they they by mid-november you start seeing them and they're gonna put in like month and a half two months of good cyclocross racing and it's worth the effort for them you know going into this year who knows you know like we're hitting the olympic cycle and uh, it will be interesting how many people will come back and focus on cyclocross and then and how many mountain bikers are going to be doing spring classics on the road, you know, like I I definitely enjoy seeing that. And I think uh, it's, you know, it's probably coming a little bit from the riders, but probably also from their sponsors. And I think just like for me, you know, it's like mountain biking always been such a focus where you want to do well and everything, as far as the team goes, it's like focus on that. But then you like kind of back off from that stress and you jump into cyclocross season and you're like man i'm doing really well because i'm just not having the like same expectations Mm -hmm. and pressure so i think the riders enjoy that you know and um i i hope we see more of that but being one of them who's like combine couple cycling disciplines for a long time i know it's 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 hard and they like it drove me crazy when people start like telling me in December, like, how come you know that this race and that hmm. race? And I'm like, I already raced for 10 months. Like, sure. I need a break, you know, yeah. I'm staying home. So uh, it's, uh, yeah, I think it's good, like, it's good to see it, but it's really up to the athletes how much they can handle and how much they want to do, you know. Not everybody wants to race 10 months out of the year, you know. Completely. So, yeah. How much say do you have in your race program? How much... You, you touched on a second ago when you were talking about sponsors. I mean, there are certain suggestions and obligations that sponsors are going to have of you on to go attend this race or, or go to this training camp versus oh. this really cool place you're in now where you get to come do fun things. Yeah, I mean, like, 
like I said earlier, I'm pretty, you know, I'm pretty lucky because Cliff Bar is heavily involved in gravel now and, sure. you know, definitely these events um, in Northern California. So I would say my, like, 90% of the races that I did this summer were on my schedule. Okay. So uh, there's a little bit of a play and uh, I am adding more cyclocross events now that weren't on the <laughs> they were on the program but uh it i think to be working. i think my team is happy to support me now <laughs> so. yeah I, I should say so <laughs> taking a, a very lateral step we hear in the united states certain terms like growing up behind the iron curtain which <laughs> i believe you grew up behind the iron curtain in, in czechoslovakia um but it's it's such a foreign concept to americans in a literal and figurative sense. So, I mean, in a very broad-reaching question, what <laughs> what does that mean? What does it mean personally, related to family, friends, yeah. athletics? Well, um, yeah, it is. I mean, it's it's fun to think about that time because, you know, I was the very end of that, you know. So yeah. I was born in 77 and... Uh, I was 12 when things changed. Mm -hmm. And up to that, you as a kid, like, you kind of sensed something wasn't quite perfect, but you didn't really worry about it a whole lot, you know? Because here I was growing up in tiny, like, little town, and, you know, my parents or none of my friends' parents had their own business. Every time you wanted to go do something, mm -hmm. somebody was around. You could join any club. There would be skis in the closet. They would give you skis. You wanted to do music. They would figure out how to get you instruments. You didn't have to pay for anything, and the kids could do anything. So as wow. a kid, it was really fun because there are tons of parents, tons of cool coaches, and you could do whatever you wanted to do in yeah. a way, you know? But having said that, by the time I was like, well, I kind of want to go ski out of my region and Germany's half an hour away, suddenly the border was open and it really opened my eyes to what what we were missing uh -huh. <laughs> and, and definitely what my parents' generation was missing, you know, because I went from like, honestly, like seeing the Alps from the peak yeah. that I grew up in, uh, above the town I grew up in, to, you know, not really, like, think, well, it's the Alps, like, you didn't, you know, you're, you're, you're too young, and nobody ever went there, so you didn't think about it, mm -hmm. to, like, the border, the border is open, and we're riding our bikes all the way to the Alps and through the Alps, like, yeah. as teenagers, like, I don't, I don't think we were even carrying our passports a few <laughs> years later, you know, yeah. so, Crazy. once again, like, the timing for me was just amazing, you know, because I had that old structure of, like, I went to ski academy. That was for free. My parents didn't have to pay for my ski academy, right? Yeah. And that got me on this path of being a successful young athlete that led me to skiing scholarship in, at the university and the Olympics. So there were great things about it. Having said that, I'm so thankful everything changed, you know? Yeah. And it still makes me sad that my parents' generation never had the opportunities that we've had. And, uh, yeah, it's fun to see it's fun to see the country kind of blossom into what it is now. And, uh, yeah, I, I kept my citizenship, even though I've been in California for almost 20 years, and I always wanted to race for Czech. And, uh, right. yeah, I go home as much as I can. And it's, uh, nice. yeah, it's definitely, uh, yeah, I can't, I can't say, 
I suffered too much as a child, <laughs> honestly, you know. But the opportunities that kind of open up for me when when the curtain went down, it's it's amazing to think about, you know. Yeah. How did you get into skiing? I mean, you, it, it almost sounds like you're able to try anything and, and maybe you just happen to be <laughs> good at it. So there's no, there's no top down from the state saying, okay, you're going to dip your toe in it and oh by the way you happen to be really good and so we're gonna yeah keep you in the program <laughs> yeah back to like that you know we didn't have email back then but you were supposed <laughs> to read books and stuff and yeah. i'm like no not for me so i was always kind of the kid that was just running around and i um i started with gymnastics which i think that's like the best sport you can do as a yeah, young kid yeah. and then uh you know, being stuck in the gym most of the time that sort of started driving me crazy, even though I was like five years old, I already recognized <laughs> that, that uh, indoor workouts are not going to be my cup of tea. And they haven't been ever since. Like, yeah. And so I joined the ski team and uh, just that was fun. We had really cool coaches and we did track and field in the summer. We rode bikes, you know, we did orienteering, we skied. I did a little bit of alpine skiing as well. We didn't have a chairlift. We had to hike up. Oh, wow. <laughs> the original so, AT skiing. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, yeah. And then I kind of got into that like, um, old, you know, East European structure of like a good regional athlete, got invited to a couple of training camps mm -hmm. in that region and maybe go to like a national championship as a, um, I think around like 12 year old, like before that high school, I, I already yep. started to travel a little bit. Yep. Um, so a lot of good opportunities if you, if you wanted to be an athlete for sure. Yeah. And how'd you end up, you went to the school in the States and you went to college in the States. Is that right? I did. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I got approached by uh, CU, and I did one semester at CU. That's a uh, um, the head coach there is a, a Czech immigrant. Oh no way! Uh, so <laughs> he always brought a lot of Czech skiers, and uh, and then eventually I actually transferred to Reno. I kind of went to Tahoe um, and really fell fell in love with the area, and I was hanging out with a guy from that area. So um, decided to yeah transfer, and I I got my degree in nice. Reno. What'd you study? Uh, marketing. Very cool. Yeah. Got a business degree that haven't used much. <laughs> it's a good one for being an athlete for sure. I think, I think it definitely is. You got to, it, it keeps you diversified and you yeah. get to just sort of think about the world in a slightly different ways. Just staying on the topic real quick. Do you ever, do you ever talk about your parents with your parents about what it's like to have grown up? in that generation or is it something that that they tend to be quiet about oh yeah um, no 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 i mean for sure like, like it it's you know like it's i mean i still i still have two grandmothers you know oh, wow. so it's uh i you know i'm not i'm not home enough so when i when i go go back home and visit that I, I try to kind of have a good quality time and mm -hmm. you know like i mean my grandmothers they lived through the wars yeah. you know and like when my grandpa was alive, he, that was, that was his life topic, you yeah. know, like you could, you could tell grandma's rolling eyes because she's heard it too many times, yeah. but the rest of us, it was, it was fascinating, you know, so it's, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting era and I, you know, I definitely, I think it makes you appreciate what you have and, uh, but it's also good to tell them what, what's life like here because yeah. I think in Europe, a lot of people don't have a good idea you know they might they might know some like tv shows and they think everybody's rich and doesn't work <laughs> you know <laughs> everyone lives in new york city and, uh, or california and yeah. then you explain the issues that people are dealing with 
um, you know, over here. And so it's, I don't know, it's, it's funny because now I lived, you know, about half and half, but like really my adult life has been spent in the U.S. So it's, uh, I have better understanding of how things work here than, than, sure. than Europe, you know. Yeah. So. <laughs> How's your check when you go home? Oh, check is fine. Like I can, um, spoken checks never been a problem written anything so always been a problem yeah. <laughs> for me but uh, yeah there's there's definitely times where I'm like I'm not gonna email my parents because I know my mom's <laughs> gonna make fun of me so I just call <laughs> but um no it's yeah it's it, it's good like I can definitely <laughs> there's been some times when I just like me and Georgia were drinking heavily after some bad, bad World Cup races, yeah. and I, I needed to call my parents before leaving Europe and still, like, <laughs> could go immediately into what I needed to to do. But I think the most I get confused is, like, if I'm, like, surrounded by both, you know, Czech and American speaking, and I go back and forth. Uh-huh. Sometimes I just, like, look into somebody's eye and just fluent in Czech, you know? Yeah. And they're like, oh, <laughs> what are you talking about? We got... We got- <laughs> Spanglish is the cross-up between right. English and Spanish. I wonder what... Chinglish. There we go. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah. No, I I mean, it, you tend to do it. You start throwing in words from one language to the other, but I really tried to keep them keep yeah. them separate and clean if possible. Well, it wouldn't really help if I start throwing any Czech words into English. <laughs> right. so. that, that's where you get that glossy-eyed, <laughs> what? You have mentioned being towards the end of your career, but... In, in a variety of regards, you're as strong as ever. Last week is a perfect example of that. So I suppose what does it mean to look into your crystal ball for the future? <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting because it's like you get to the point where you, you know, like there's no coming back. You can't take year off and then jump right back into it, you know, and I kind of recognized that a few years back when I was really contemplating changing the direction and like kind of moving on. And I had a lot of good friends to sort of encourage me to like take, you know, just think about it one more time, you know. And uh, and I, I have to say like I've really, really enjoyed these last few years of my racing career because I got to the point that it's, it's not as stressful. You don't fuss over every bad race or workout or you just, it's part of the you know it's part of the big picture mm-hmm. and and you know any of those victories are just it just feels amazing because you're like this this is great because you know it may not happen again yeah. and like and that's fine too like it's okay to recognize that you know but every time you are successful and have a good day it's like it's so much easier to appreciate it than like let's say 10 years ago where you're just like okay now there's a next weekend and i Absolutely. have to worry about that you yeah. know so now i'm kind of like yeah i could go on vacation tomorrow <laughs> you know i don't care uh-huh. like uh, so uh yeah, I don't know. It's 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 really fun, and I'm thankful that um, Cliff Bar is you know has been behind me for so many years and supported me through my entire cycling career. And I you know like winning last weekend, it's like that's the best way to say thank you. You uh-huh. know, apart from like look Gary into his eyes and say thank you, like it's it's pretty rad. So uh, I think as long as I have the, as long as I have the energy to kind of the drive and then as long as I feel like I'm doing a good job for my sponsors, you know, then mm-hmm. I'll, I'll probably play in the mud for a little longer. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Well, uh, that is going to be a perfect segue because tomorrow, as we may have just alluded to or previously alluded to, 
is not going to be this bright, sunshiny day that we have now. Um, Grindero is a unique event with these four segmented races within the race. You are a past champion. Do you have any particular aspirations? Is this the kind of thing that is definitely all about just having a good time and soaking in the culture, or do you, you still want to give it a rip? Um, once I'm out there and, like, pedaling the segments for sure, I'll be, you know, I'll be going hard. But I, I definitely, like... I've been busy and I'm just happy to be here and kind of like chill and enjoy it. See all my friends, you know, uh, be, be part of your podcast. I didn't even get on my bike, you know, I don't, I didn't pre-ride the stages. So I'm a little bit unprepared today. Uh, but by the time I line up tomorrow, there's like, I, I just, you know, you put me on the bike and there's like a whistle or whatever yeah. timing chip. And I, I just turn into that racing mode. And I think most people out there can relate to that. hundred <laughs> percent. So. This is such a cool event with so many different walks of life on two wheels at the start line. But I'm with you. You put a number on your bike, you put a helmet on, <laughs> and and some sort of curious level of competition comes out of you. So we will wrap up with three questions. Okay. <laughs> one, what is your favorite place to ride a bike? Two, what is the number one place you would like to ride a bike that you've never ridden? And three, anyone on Earth or beyond Earth, living or otherwise, fictitious or real, with whom would you like to go on a bike ride? <laughs> okay. Uh, I I don't like these, like, pick one place, you know? That's <laughs> well, so see, hard. But uh, I'll, I'll My qualifier is just go rapid. Be like, I could ask you the same question tomorrow, and you right. can have a different answer. Exactly, exactly. Um so where I would want to ride a bike, um, I just followed all the EWS footage from Zermatt, mm. and that looks spectacular. I don't yeah. know much about the trails, but the scenery is great, and Sweet. I would love to go check it out. Um, what was the favorite other Favorite place to ride a bike that you oh, have favorite ridden? Favorite place? Um, probably British Columbia. The Ooh. trails of BC are incredible. I've never seen anything better and the dirt is amazing. So, Sweet. Uh, I hope to make it back there again. Mm-hmm. And I really would love to ride some sweet trails with these two dogs that are nice. sitting with me. They're they're old and they don't come for the bike rides anymore, but it was so fun to rip down the trails with them when they were younger. And, uh, yeah, I, I would love to do that again, even if it's like a half a mile. So now that the temperatures are getting colder, I probably, um, you know, I probably do it one more time. And it's funny because Lola, if she's been on the trail, she'll remember it and she'll cut every switchback and wait for you down. (laughs) And if Ruby follows me, you know, she'll like, She'll do the course. So, uh, yeah, these two guys had so much fun with them riding, but uh, kind of respect their age and don't sure. make them chase the bike anymore. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful dogs. Well, they're probably going to get antsy. It's nearly dinner time. <laughs> yeah. Katarina, I can't thank you enough for taking the time. I really appreciate it. It's been fun. Thank you. Thanks for chatting. That was fun. <laughs>